This podcast is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. For a 10% discount on the National Disciple-Making Forum this October in Nashville, Tennessee, register at Discipleship.org and use the promotional code PODCAST. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. Dan Spader founded Sun Life Ministries because while he was at Bible college, a professor of his challenged him to study the life of Jesus in order to find a template for how to disciple kids in his youth ministry. He did just that and applied what he learned from that study to his youth ministry in Chicago. This made such an impact that they named the youth group Sun Life because Jesus' way of disciple-making, the Sun's life, served as the foundation for how they discipled youth. They did it as literally as possible. As their efforts multiplied and other churches gained interest in what they were doing, they launched out of the Sun Life youth group Sun Life Ministries, in order to train leaders around the world in disciple-making based on a deep understanding of the life of Christ. Sun Life Ministries and its international arm, Global Youth Initiatives, has a presence in 111 countries. They are making a global impact. Here's Dan on how Sun Life Ministries started. I was working part-time as a youth pastor in a small church of 100 people with 8 to 10 kids. So I just began to study my engineering background. I, I was a brand new Christian, came out of an engineering background, began to analyze the life of Christ. What did he do the first year? What did he do the second year? Where did he go? What did he say? What did he teach? And we just applied that in the youth ministry. Obviously, in the middle of studying the life of Christ and now my doctoral work also for over the next 10 years, but I, I developed a high degree of commitment to disciple-making. Um, as we see it in the life of Christ. We call our youth group Sun Life because we were just living the Sun's life. We saw that youth group go to grow to several hundred young people, uh, three to four hundred teenagers that were reaching other teenagers. It was really multiplying. People began to come to us and say, how are you doing that? Because at that time, a church of about 400 people, youth group about that same size, uh, we're asking, how are you doing that? I go, I don't know, we're doing what Jesus did. And that's when we launched Sun Life Ministries, which was training youth pastors in the life of Christ and disciple making. And then we did that for 10 years. And so on a personal level, I just live the values. Um, I constantly live them. In my neighborhood right now, I have a ministry team with four couples, and we have 40 plus. Uh, people in our neighborhood that are targeting the 743 homes in our neighborhood to see the Great Commission and Great Commandment fulfilled through a movement of disciple-making right in our neighborhood. So I thought I just lived out the values personally, my wife and I, and then we train leaders in how to, to do that in churches, groups, women's ministry, men's ministry, various segment ministries um, in churches number of our people began to go overseas, so that's how we ended up going overseas, because several of our leaders began to go to Eastern Europe and then Africa, and the next thing we know, uh, we were in 20 countries and overseas, and so I began to work with them full-time with Global Youth Initiative, we called it, and now we're in 111 countries. Um, 64 of them have movement to multiplying disciples. I talked with Mark Edwards, one of the kids who grew up in Dan's youth ministry. After he was in the youth group for a while, Mark came on staff with Dan at Sun Life. And eventually, Mark brought Sun Life Ministries to Latin America via Costa Rica. Here's Dan on how it all happened, starting when Mark was in Dan's youth group in Chicago. 
Mark was in my youth group. He really brought his friends, and he was just doing a great job. Our youth group was called Sunlight, so he really learned how to make disciples as a teenager. And then he came on staff with me when I started Sunlight Ministries, and then one day God really spoke to him about going to Latin America and learning the language and make disciples in Latin America. And so now he's down in Latin America leading a ministry called Sunlight Latino Latin America, and they're in about, I think, 15, 16 countries throughout Latin and South America. My name is Mark Edwards, and I'm on the lead team for Sun Life Latin in America. And you met Dan back when you were in high school. What was God doing in your life at that time? Well, I'm a people pleaser, and I can really never remember. Mark had grown up as a people pleaser. He tried to please his parents, but that didn't work. So he tried to please other adults in his life. When that didn't work either, he tried to please his friends, and then finally he tried to just please himself all of which came to naught. God used Dan Spader to teach Mark about pleasing God. And the snowball effect of this turning point in Mark's life has impacted Latin America and beyond. Here's Mark on how Dan discipled him starting in high school. Back at my church, uh, Dan Spader had begun a group of guys that he was meeting with and began to share with them, um, share with us guys, uh, what it meant to have Jesus as your life, what it meant to give Jesus the steering wheel of your car, of your life, and uh, how to live the Christ life um, that Galatians 2.20 talks about. For it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. What does it mean to live by faith? Um, and he mentioned a verse in Hebrews 11.6 uh, that says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And I thought, oh, please God. And I don't know, I had grown up in the evangelical church my whole life, and I don't know, it never really dawned on me uh, that I was created to please God. Uh, I had turned my head totally down toward myself and was doing everything to please Mark. Um, and the more I tried to please Mark, the more empty I felt, not the more fulfilled I felt, the more frustrated, like this isn't it. Um, and it dawned on me, I was uh, born to please God. And I began to struggle or a, a journey. I began a journey of learning to please God. What does it mean to please God in everything that we do? Um, and that's uh, during that time, Dan, I came on staff at the church for a summer. Uh, Dan continued to invest in me along with a number of other guys um, that he was spending time with, uh, pouring his life into. Um, he began to study uh, the life of Christ and brought that to our youth ministry. Uh, as a youth ministry, we gathered, decided what are we going to call ourselves, and we were studying the life of Jesus, so we thought well, we could call ourselves like Jesus' life, uh, the life of Jesus. We came up with tons of different names, and ultimately the name that stuck that everybody loved was Sun Life. Um, Sun Life was the Son's life. We wanted to be uh, like the Son's life. We believed that God was transforming us into the image of His Son, and so what better name to call ourselves than Sun Life? Um, and so as a youth group, we began to call ourselves Sun Life. Um, we began to reach out to our friends and try to live like Jesus lived. We tried to embrace his character, and we tried to embrace his priorities. So we began to share and make disciples like he made disciples, invest our lives in our friends, uh, fish for our unbelieving friends. Um, and then after we... After they were rescued from the darkness, begin to pour our lives into them and, and teach them who Jesus was. That Jesus was not only the way to heaven, but he was the truth, and that Jesus was the life. And our youth group began to grow. 
and uh, that youth group, Dan, ended up going part-time, and um, Rob Yonan became uh, the other part-time youth pastor at the church, and we launched Sun Life Ministries, um, and that's pretty much how Sun Life began, and uh, Dan was a huge impact in my life uh, during my high school years in several different ways. One, in the area of faith. Um, Dan taught a lot on faith. He has a gift of faith, and stretched me to believe God for uh, great things, believe that God could do far and above anything I could ever think or dream uh, as an inner city Chicago kid, uh, not really having too many dreams, never ever planning on leaving the city of Chicago. Um, and also in the area of uh, investing your life in other people, investing your life in students, believing that God could do something uh, by faith, seeing people for not who they are, but who they could become, um, if God got a hold of their lives. So Dan spent a lot of time with you when you were back in high school, raised you up, mm-hmm. discipled you. So what does that look like in your life now? How are you giving back and investing into other people? Yeah, it's a very similar. Uh, when we landed in Costa Rica in uh, 1994, we opened our house and uh, began to drill down to the life of Christ, asking how do we begin a movement of multiplication in Latin America? Uh, how do we... Do it like Jesus did it. So I'm going back to the life of Jesus, asking how did he do it, uh, began to draw principles out uh, of the life of Christ. Uh, the first thing Jesus did is he incarnated. Uh, he became one of us. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. There must be something important in that. So, uh, well, we got to dwell among the people. So we rented a home among the people, dwelt among the people, opened our home Um to the high school kids in the area, and slowly uh, they began to come, and we began to explain to them that Jesus was the way. Um, Many of them started to come to Christ, and then we began to pour our lives into them, meeting with them one-on-one in small groups and weekly as a group, uh, teaching them the knowledge of Jesus the way, but he was the truth, Uh, and then challenging them to embrace Jesus as their life, begin to share Jesus with other people, teaching them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We did that in one local church for the first four years in a town called San Antonio de Belen. Uh, at the end of that time, we had I had four men, that four guys, young guys that I had uh, discipled. Uh, three of them left and became youth pastors at other churches. Uh, youth pastor really isn't something they have in Latin America. You're the head youth worker type of thing. So uh, not being paid, uh, they began to go into other churches and do the same thing. So multiplying themselves in the lives of other people, teaching people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. We bring you stories of disciple makers who are making disciples that make disciples. Today's episode is Dan Spader's story. Dan is devoted to training leaders in disciple making based on a deep understanding of the life of Christ. The end product, he says, is not just disciples, but movements of multiplying disciples. I asked him what it was exactly that he did when Sun Life was just getting started, when he discipled kids like Mark by using the life of Christ as his method. We saw primarily the first year and a half, first 18 months, it was relational. John 3, 21 and 22, he spent time with his disciples. John the Baptist came and prepared the way. Jesus came under the radar of John the Baptist and began to say, come and see and follow me to the initial disciples. Then about 18 months into it was when he began to form a ministry team. Uh, this is Matthew 4, 16 and Mark 1, 16, where he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. 
there were five individuals, James, John, Simon, and Andrew, Matthew, that he went deeper with. From that point on in Jesus' life, you find him 17 times at the Masses, but 46 times with these few guys. Ultimately, these five, I call them a starting five, that he hand-picked 18 months into it became some of the 12, and two and a half years into it, he chose the 12. Um, and then through them, taught them to reproduce and created a movement of multiplication that within 28 years turned the world upside down. So we built our ministry on those five phases of how Jesus built a movement of multiplication. We call it the preparation phase, the foundation phase, the ministry training phase, the multiplied outreach, and then leadership multiplication. Uh, but that basically we just imitated the life of Christ. What we see Jesus did, we tried to do. Reflecting, we say that a disciple is somebody who follows the resurrected Christ and seeks to emulate his character and priorities. So we listen to and follow the head of the church, the resurrected Christ, but then we imitate his character, and his priorities. Uh, and we say both character and priorities. So character, obviously, we have a training manual on what the character of Christ looked like in his humanity when he walked on this earth. And then we have a training manual on what his priorities were for making other disciples. And so we, we just begin to train people to do that, and then they reproduce that in others, and it begin to multiply, and that youth group kept growing as students began to reach students. And do you like? Do you sit down and and study the Bible with people? Uh, do you tell stories orally? Do you have them read and then tell you? Like, what is? How do you study the the life of Christ with people? Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials, it's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. Well, and it's a great question. Uh, most people ask, what's the curriculum you use? Now, I've got curriculum. I've got curriculum that talks about how Jesus made disciples. i got curriculum on what were Jesus' priorities. i got curriculum on what were Jesus' character qualities. And it's good stuff, I think. But the bottom line to me, it's not curriculum. It's the investing in a few and teaching them to invest in others. And it doesn't matter 
so much what I study as long as I'm in the scriptures on the life of Christ. Now, that's a broad concept, okay, because all scriptures point to Jesus. But having said that, I'll back up and say, yeah, we've got a 50-day study called Knowing Him that our guy in Latin America wrote, and for 20 years he takes five young men, and he takes them through a 50-day chronological study of life of Christ with the premise. He'll do that for one year with them. When they're done, they have to repeat it in somebody else's, with somebody else. That's why he's got disciples all over Latin America. He just takes five a year, takes them through one year, studied chronologically of the life of Christ. It's a study called Knowing Him uh, that we have written. We've got videos for it. We've got podcasts with it. You can Videos and podcasts are free online. We shot the videos in Israel, but it's just a chronological study of life of Christ. Why? Because we're trying to get people to know the real Jesus that walked in this earth, the real Jesus that made disciples, and how he did it. Yeah. Well, and I, I say there's several levels of understanding the life of Christ. I'll just, in my journey, I probably spent the first 10 years just studying the message of Jesus. And that, we could spend eternity talking about the message of Jesus. It was profound. Uh, that alone is life-changing. But then... There's another level. I, I think the second level, I spent the next 10 years, a lot of my doctoral work, understanding the methods of Jesus. You know, how did he teach? Uh, who did he prioritize? How did he uh, focus on a few methods? And to me, when you understand the methods of Jesus, the message has a whole new meaning. But then I think there's a third level, and this is the last 15, 20 years for me, is is going even beyond the message and the methods and wrestling with what I call the man Jesus, the human Jesus, the, the God-man who who was man as God intended man to be. Or as Ryrie says, never less than God. He chose to live his life never more than man. And, and in the whole issue of the, and theologians call this the hypostatic union, you know, how could he be fully God and fully man at the same time? But but the only way it works was in his humanity, he veiled his deity so that humanity could be fully expressed. Never gave up his deity, but veiled it. So that means Jesus was fully human. And, and so many times I find in North America, most Christians view Jesus as Superman. He looks human. But boy, when he goes in the phone booth, he comes out with that kryptonite and that cape, and he flies through the air and does miracles. Mm-hmm. That was shot down at the Council of Kelsey when theologians wrestled with this, this faulty theology. So what you're saying is, it's not so much what you study, like, it, it, as long as it's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and, and as long as you understand Jesus. Because there's, there's all, and I, I say this carefully, and I don't, a lot of people study the message of Jesus, but miss his methods. And, and, and more and more people focus on some of his methods, but real, that miss the real human Jesus. That's why, to me, there, you, you've got to understand the message of Jesus, the methods, and then the, the, the man Jesus, the real Jesus um, that walked on this earth. That's the passion of my life, anyway. If, if I can get people to understand the real Jesus, the incarnate human God-man, the real Jesus that for 30 years was in the marketplace and then four years went in the ministry and through that time made disciples relationally, 
if I can get them to understand that real Jesus, because Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. Jesus himself said, it's not me, it's the Father in me working through me. Therefore, we can do this. If we're in the marketplace, if wherever we're at, as long as we're intentional about walking as Jesus walked, doing what Jesus did. Dan, so, um, I'm curious, kind of the the non Superman part of your life. You know, the the really human part of you that struggles and that you know prays in Gethsemane with Jesus. Like, I don't want to do this. You know, what has yeah, been the most yeah. challenging part of making disciples in your life? Well, that's a good question. I, I um, it's following the risen Christ daily. It's abiding deeply in Him. Uh, nine months before the cross, Jesus took his disciples way up north of Caesarea Philippi, and for the first time told him, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter pulled him aside and tried to rebuke him, and Jesus rebuked Peter, and then turned to them and said, if you too, you too must follow me to the cross. You too got to come and die. And I think that's the daily struggle I have. The biggest problem I have is not making disciples. The biggest problem I have is me. And and so if I if I can learn to abide and daily die to self, abide in the resurrected Christ, die to my own self will, it's amazing what, what the Spirit wants to do through a person's life. We're taking a break from the story to hear more about how you can grow as a disciple maker by joining the national conversation that's going on right now. For starters, join the Discipleship.org National Forum for Disciple Making at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, this October 6th and 7th. This is a two-day conference specifically for you. If you're a leader of any type in the church, paid or unpaid, volunteer or on staff, pastors and laypersons alike will learn best practices for disciple making today. It's on a Thursday and a Friday so that you can travel from just about anywhere in the country and still make it back for Sunday. This year's theme for the forum is called Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. This conference is the first of its kind because 10 disciple-making organizations will all be in one place at the same time. One of those 10 tracks is hosted by Sun Life Ministries, which Dan Spader and his team founded. If you want to know more about Sun Life Ministries, go to sunlife.com. Here's Dan on why he and Sun Life are coming to the National Disciple-Making Forum this fall. Number one, I'm genuinely excited about it. Um, for years, we've tried to create critical mass toward disciple-making. And I feel within the last three to five years, it's become the new buzzword. And I think we have a window of opportunity before that buzzword moves to some other buzzword. And, and uh, I believe disciple-making is our calling. And so, therefore, I'm excited about the fact that we're having a national gathering of disciple-makers who are going to share best practices and learn from each other to fan the flames of a movement for disciple-making. So it's been a passion in my life, and I feel like this is going to help us get critical mass. But then also, I just I feel like I have a very deep conviction that I want Jesus to be the core of this disciple-making focus. Uh, I don't think we'll ever have a revival in America until we get back to exalting Jesus as the, as the source of everything. So, and and to me, that's I can't talk disciple making without bringing up Jesus. Um, 
And Jesus is my model for that. So I really want to help inject uh, what I call good Christology into that ecclesiology that we'll talk about. How do we make disciples in the local church? Plus a bunch of great guys going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fun. My (laughs) heroes. Yeah. (laughs) If you were to say, why am I a disciple-making first person now, what would you say? There's no other option. Um, And when you study the life of Christ, that was his laser focus. His mission was not to reach the world. His mission was to make disciples who could reach the world. Then he said, do what I've done, walk as I walk. And so when you really get to know the life of Christ that walked on this earth, to me there's no other option. I have to make disciples. Now, I don't care if I'm in a marketplace, I'll make disciples in a marketplace. You put me in a prison, I'll make disciples in prison. I mean, because this is what it means to follow Christ to me. Register for the National Forum for Disciple-Making at Discipleship.org. Get a 10% discount if you're coming by yourself or bringing a group that's not yet registered by using the promotional code PODCAST. And now back to the story. When we left off, Dane was talking about his greatest weakness as a disciple, which, he says, is his reluctance to follow the Spirit. But he has seen God work in miraculous ways when he chooses to respond to the Spirit by saying yes to Him. One such example is when a young man named Dave came over to his house one night randomly. Dan admitted to me that he didn't want Dave to come over that night, but he said yes anyway. The result? That night, God sparked what has become a large disciple-making ministry in Eastern Europe, all based on the life of Christ as their method of disciple-making. Here Dan explains how Dave's ministry in Eastern Europe fits into his story as a whole and what happened that time they first met many years ago. Bottom line... If it had been up to me and my flesh, we would have never met. But she came over. I found out he was launching a youth ministry. He asked me what I do. I said, I train in disciple making. He said, this is what I want to learn. And now he has a staff of three, 400 in Eastern Europe. Well, that's God. That That's God. Yeah, I'm Dave Patty, and I serve as the president of Josiah Venture, which is an international mission organization that works in Central and Eastern Europe training the next generation of leaders there, uh, particularly focused on youth ministry and local churches. I met Dan for the first time actually when in, in Chicago when I needed someplace to stay, and his uh, brother volunteered, Dan, said he had an extra room in his house, and uh, I was just coming through the area, and, and uh, Dan was in a very busy time, but he opened up his basement, and uh, I had just finished uh, doing a, a presentation at Moody about our ministry, and and came to his house late at night, about 10 o'clock at night, and he and Char were still up. They, they had just started Sun Life a couple of years before, had very young kids at that time. And uh, just before I went to bed, I asked Dan what he did, and, and he said uh, he trained youth leaders, and I was just starting into a new ministry where I was going to be responsible for a lot of youth leader training. So I said, what do you teach them? And uh, that conversation continued until well after midnight. It was a, it was a life-changing encounter for me yeah i mean what was life-changing about that it sounds like he just kind of explained what he did and what he taught them but like what a what about that changed your life exactly there were a couple things he shared that were really revolutionary to me one was uh, the whole concept that jesus first disciples many of them were probably teenagers and so as we think about building a youth ministry uh, jesus is really our example and i never thought about that and then the whole concept of 
studying the life of Christ, not just for content, but also for how he went about disciple-making. Uh, and then the, the thought of how a ministry grows over time, particularly at the beginning of a ministry, you have different priorities than at the end, and that you can trace those priorities, those disciple-making priorities in the life of Christ. Those thoughts were just totally new to me, and set up paradigms that I've worked out of for the many years since then, almost, uh, well, maybe 30 years since then. That was in, in the early 80s. It was probably 80, 1986 or something like that. So, um, again, one of those life-changing encounters. And it all made sense to me. that The fact that it was rooted in Scripture, uh, the focus on disciple-making, uh, the intentionality of a, of a strategy based on the life of Christ, uh, just, just clicked in my mind. It, it totally made sense. Okay. And then what happened next in your life after that encounter? One of the things I appreciate about Dan was that he didn't, uh, he, he saw disciple making a lifestyle, not as a, as a manual, as a program. And, and he, I think he, he saw that I was really interested in that. Not long after that, I got an email from him saying, uh, if you, uh, if you would be willing to, to come out to one of our trainings, I'll actually pay your way. And, and so I was a, a poor, uh, beginning missionary and uh, the fact that he reached out like that he sent me some tapes to listen to so i could get up to speed with uh the the foundational material they covered and then uh then i flew out and took part in, in one of the sunlight trainings but uh, that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't personally reached out to me and he can't, hadn't kind of spotted me and i think that's one of the uh the, the keys in good disciple making is you, you see that in the life of christ that uh, he, he didn't just kind of passively wait for people to come to him. He, he spotted key leaders and went after them. And a good disciple maker does that. He, he doesn't just wait for people to come to him. So Dan took quite a bit of initiative early on. After his initial meeting with Dave, Dan visited Europe to help Dave train their team there. This was early on in their ministry in Eastern Europe. Then Dan had Dave flown back to the States so he could get more training. Dave came back at another point, this time as a staff member at Sun Life, while he was earning his master's degree at Wheaton. So their discipling relationship continued for decades after that initial meeting, even if it's comprised of relatively brief encounters. You know, I'd say Dan's been discipling me uh, for 30 years now, and sometimes it's just one or two contacts a year. Um, every time I'd be back in the States, I'd look him up and we'd sit down for, for coffee. But uh, the the power of those times was it just, I always always got always got the same thing from him, disciple making the life of Christ and real interest in my life, uh, and uh, a huge commitment to, to my success and fruitfulness as a, as a servant of God. So um, I always sense that. And so he's been, I, you know, we're, I've, we've become very close friends, and uh, which is interesting with so much distance between us. But I think part of that's just the connection heart uh, around, um, around mission and around Christ. Um, so... The things that you've learned from Dan in terms of disciple making, what have you carried through, and and what has that really looked like as you've poured yourself out to others? Yeah, well, uh, on uh, I'd say one of the key things is when I train other leaders, I center around the life of Christ and around disciple making the life of Christ, which I would have never done if I hadn't spent that time with Dan. So he's deeply shaped our whole kind of foundational approach to youth leader training. And then, um, then as I seek to in, engage in other leaders' lives, I, I, I really put a priority on doing it on life-on-life kinds of ways. So while we do lots of training, I, um, I'm, I'm deeply involved in the lives of the, uh, a number of young leaders that I'm discipling out there. 
And then uh, the, another thing that was always a challenge to me as I interacted with Dan was that he, he is the whole time I've known him has been in, engaged in personal evangelism. So he often would have a new story of a neighbor he led to the Lord or someone he shared Christ with and was discipling. And they weren't just conversations. They really were people who uh, became followers of Christ and, and grew to maturity because of his engagement in their lives. So I, I love the fact that he wasn't just teaching it, but he was modeling it. And that's something I've tried to do in my ministry, too, is is, um, is just always be sharing the gospel and making disciples. And got an opportunity just two weeks ago to lead some of the Lord in our in our village and uh, just try to consistently be be sharing Jesus. And that's something that I, I learned. After my time in Wheaton with Dan, we started a ministry in Central and Eastern Europe with just two couples. And we've grown to um, over 310, it's about 315 on our team right now, working in 13 countries of Central and Eastern Europe. And, and we'll train in a typical year, we'll train about 6,000 young leaders across the region. So um, I get to apply those disciple-making principles, not only with our, our 300-member team, but with, uh, with lots of leaders across the region. So the, the ripple effect of Dan's investment in my life has is, is just been really huge in terms of uh, the thousands of people that have been impacted in Central Nation Europe uh, because of his investment in me. When Dave left your house that night after you were tired, uh, mm-hmm. what did you think was going to happen? I didn't think much. Well, we stayed up until 2 in the morning because we got so excited talking about Jesus and opening our Bibles. We stayed up until 2, 3 that morning, and I got all kinds of new energy. I didn't think anything would happen. But then two years later, he came back and said, God's calling me to launch this ministry in Eastern Europe. And could I come and study with you for a while? So he came, went through all of our training. He said, this is what we've got to do. And now he's got a whole team of unbelievably gifted indigenous leaders in 12, 13 countries of Eastern Europe. It's just the best in my mind, best missions group I know of. Our whole strategy globally, and we like to say this is trying to do what Jesus did, when Jesus came to this earth, he targeted young people. I mean, John was probably 16 to 17 years old. Most of the disciples probably late teens, early 20s. And and so we try to target young people. When That's what's called global youth initiative, because if you reach a person... When they're young, they have 40 years ahead of them, and they don't have that much to unlearn. So our whole strategy globally is uh, targeting youth. Now, globally, youth is 30 and under, but in America here, it tends to be teenagers or college students. So, Dan, uh, one of the things I noticed on your website for uh, Sun Life Ministries, I know you're you're more with Global Youth Initiative um, now, but... Uh, it said, how do you know when you've made a disciple? How would you answer mm-hmm. that question? Well, when they reproduce. Um, <laughs> I, I literally say here at the training at Southeast where I'm at, and I've said it with years of sun life, you haven't made a disciple until they make a disciple. That's why the issue not discipleship to me is disciple-making, because uh, the mental picture, what Jesus originally meant in Matthew 28, was to go and make disciples, and a command in that text, is to make disciples, and then the second command in the Great Commission is a little word, word called adieu, which means behold, or lo, I'm with you, keep your eyes on me. That command literally means make a disciple, and a true disciple is somebody who reproduces. 
So we say you haven't made a disciple until they make a disciple. Until you see multiplication, you don't have um, a real, a fully trained disciple. So in one time in the Bible when Jesus was full of joy by the Holy Spirit, and I think he was always full of joy, he was one nine, he was exalted both his companions with the oil of gladness. But when you find him full of joy by the Holy Spirit, is that three and a half years into his ministry, Luke chapter 10, verse 21, after he sent out the 72, what I say are lay people. In Luke 9, he sends out the 12 leaders, but in Luke 10, he sends out the 72 lay people, if you would. They go out, proclaim the good news, come back full of joy, and Jesus is full of joy, too. Why? Because for three and a half years, he had been working with his disciples to get them to the place where they could reproduce. And they weren't fully trained yet, but this was the first fruits of that reproduction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is our mission. Uh, so you made a disciple when they make a disciple. The biblical picture is always fruit. And this is, I love John 15, the very, one of the very last teachings Jesus gave his disciples. People went in the Garden of Gethsemane to be betrayed. And he, he talks to them about no fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And he says, but this is my father glorify that you bear much fruit. Biblically, fruit is always a picture of reproduction, multiplication. Genesis 1, God bless them, be fruitful, and multiply. Blessings of God is always tied to fruitfulness, which is always tied to multiplication. I went back and listened to what Dan and Mark said about this topic, and I noticed that both of them said the exact same thing about fruit as the evidence of a disciple. You can tell that the apple does not fall far from the tree here. Dan must have accomplished his mission in discipling Mark because they quoted the same passage and articulated the same message about the same topic. That's disciple-making at its finest. Here's Dan on the importance of fruit in discipleship. By the way, neither of them heard the other person's interview before I talked to them. Notice how similar what Dan says is to what Mark said. They must be following the same person. Mark, I asked Dan how he knows when he's made a disciple. How would you answer that question? How do you know when you've made a disciple? For me, when I, when I think about making a disciple, I think about uh, illustrations like parenting. How do you know when someone's a parent? Uh, is, it, is it when they're married? They have the potential to be a parent when they're married, but they're not a parent until you give birth to a child, right? Until you have actually a child or you adopt a child uh, or you foster care a child and you're taking care of a child, then you're a parent. How do you know that you're an orange tree just because there's a seed in the ground or is it when you produce an orange uh, that you become an orange tree? Uh, I think discipleship is the same way. You know that you made a disciple when they have a disciple, when you see the fruit on the tree of a disciple life. Um, And there's two parts to that. There's an inside part and an outside part. Uh, So we talk about the character of Christ. So as you see the character of Christ formed in somebody, you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Not our fruit, but the Spirit's fruit. As we abide in him, um, we abide in Christ. Uh, We produce the fruit of joy and self-discipline, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, those fruits begin to develop in our life, and we see them. Those are those are heart fruits. They're kind of in, invisible. You can see them, but you can't. They're like the wind. You can see the effects of joy in someone's life or uh, contentment or peace, um, but you can't really see peace. Um, but there's other fruit, and the other fruit is uh, disciple-making. The verse, uh, One of the verses that I like to hang, hang my hat on is uh, John 15, uh, verse 8. That says this, Jesus said, in this is my father glorified 
that you bear much fruit and thus prove to be my disciple. Uh, the proof of being a disciple is fruit. Uh, in Jesus' mind, uh, I believe the fruit uh, uh, is what he's looking for. Um, you prove to be his disciple and you glorify the Father by bearing much fruit. God's designed us to be trees that bear fruit. Um, so to me, a disciple is someone who has both the character and priorities of Christ. Oftentimes, I think in the church, you find people who smell like an orange tree, uh, but there's no oranges on the tree. Uh, they're flowering, uh, but there's no oranges on the tree. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org. Make sure to register and join us this October for the National Disciple Makers Forum in Nashville, Tennessee.